Hello everyone, Matt Carlyle here, and I am very looking forward to having a conversation with the man joining me today as guest. He's enjoyed a fantastic playing career, winning the League Cup with both Villa and Wolves, Dundee United, Notts County, West Brom, Rangers and Cheltenham, amongst the other clubs. But most importantly, for me at least, he scored some very important goals in the history of Everton Football Club. So, uh, Andy, thanks very much for the time. Um, I know the world certainly changed a lot since we last spoke. Um, how's lockdown treating you? It's it's getting a little bit easier here in, in Qatar. They're starting to ease, um, ease restrictions. Um, golf course opened about three weeks ago, which was fantastic for us who, who play golf a lot here. Although it's a little hot, it's just about, I think it's about 43 today, 43 degrees. So a little bit in the hot side, but still it's great to get out the golf course. Um, restaurants opened uh, on the 1st of July. Beaches opened on the 1st of July. Um, some hotels opened on the 1st of July. So the these restrictions, but there's still... A few things in, but they've been they've been quite good. They've got very few active cases here in Qatar. I think about seven thousand. Although they've had a lot of infections, they the vast majority have recovered quickly um, because it's a very young population. Apart from me and Kesey, it's a very young population here <laughs> in Qatar. Um, so they seem to, you know, recover quite quickly. And we've only had about just over a hundred deaths. So all in all, I think. That the country's coped okay. It's been a bit, bit hard for me because I've I've obviously been without the family for about five months. I haven't seen my kids. I haven't been able to get back to England. And my wife, when this started, was back in England. Mm. So she's really not been able to get back to Qatar, really. So um, I've missed seeing the, the family. Um, but hopefully that will change when the season finishes. But we're okay. Um, there are worse places to be suffering lockdown, yeah. Mm, I'm glad to hear you're doing okay at least uh, and just to give a bit of context for the, the listeners and the viewers I last spoke to you around I think it was November last year at the premiere for Howard's Way initially it was a, a lounge in Goodison where members of the media would go in and it would be like a sort of a carousel sort of things where players uh, take a, a table each and then move on and you were the last of the players to reach our table and just as you sat down and you were getting mic'd up, uh, there was the last call to say, right, we're winding up now, let's, let's all get a move on. And uh, I think uh, your, your partner in crime up front, Graham Sharp, was uh, tugging on your sleeve, getting you to, to hurry up. And you said to me, uh, do you mind? Um, I was like, no, don't worry about it. And you were like, I'll find you at St. George's later on in the evening. And um, so fast forward later on in the evening and it, you know the place was absolutely packed full of, you know, experienced journalists uh, and presenters, if you will, and the fact that you'd take the time out to come and find me and talk to me when it was absolutely chocolate relatively early on in my career. I, uh, I really appreciate that, so so thank you. Pleasure. Not at all, much pleasure. Great. So when we last spoke, one of the one of the things that stuck with me was the fact that you said, obviously, you know, it's hard not to talk about all the important goals, especially in cup finals. And the thing that stuck with me was you said you'd always dreamt as a boy to score in an FA Cup final. Um, in terms of your ambitions growing up in Glasgow, was it always to make it professionally in England? 
Well, it was make it professionally, and 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 I never knew uh, if I was going to make it in England or or what kind of standard I was going to play to. That obviously I did, but I had three older brothers, um, and we were all football mad. And if I'm being honest with you, um, out of all four of us, if I was to take a snapshot of let's say when we were 16, all of us, and and say how good we were, I would have been bottom. My, my three older brothers at 16 would have all been better than me. Um, but for whatever reason, for various reasons, family reasons, and, you know, a couple of them didn't want to do it. One of them did play professional for Clyde Bank and, and, and was playing well, but decided to emigrate to Canada. So Bang went his professional career. So I guess I was, it was left to me in the family to, to fulfill all, all of our dreams. And... But they were all good footballers, my brothers, and they, they kind of channeled all their ambitions into me. And it was left to me to, to pick up the, the baton and run with it. Um, and I did. And, and yes, in those days, the, the only live football we saw in Scotland, basically, was this FA Cup final. Hmm. It was out on every year. There was a day made of it, obviously. You can remember, I'm sure even you can remember being a young man, that you know when the FA Cup final was, it, was, when it was in its height, it would start at nine o'clock in the morning and you'd be at the players' hotels. I remember them coming to our hotel um, down London before we played Watford. And we had Freddie Starr on the, on the ground uh, <laughs> entertaining us at nine o'clock in the morning. Uh -huh. So we watched all that all day. I always had visions of, of playing in an FA Cup final at Old Wembley uh, and, of course, scoring a goal and winning it. So to finally achieve that with, with, with Everton, um, and then Everton, having gone so long without winning the FA Cup, what was it 60? 16, 16 years at the time, something like that. Yeah. 16, 18 years, I think it was, wasn't it? 16, 18 years, something like that. It, it, was, it, was, it was brilliant. And I know my goal was never a classic, and I don't care, um, because all it, says on the, all it says on the history books is scorers sharp and grey. Doesn't give you a, doesn't give you a description of how the goal was scored. Mm. Thank goodness. <laughs> they all but, yeah, that was a, that was a pretty special moment. Yeah, definitely. As you say, in terms of your development, that shocked me quite a fair bit. That you say you were sort of the less technically gifted as your brothers, because I think it was seventy six, seventy seven when you won both players' player of the year and young player of the year. I think yeah. I think only Cristiano Ronaldo and Gareth Bale can lay claim to that. So you certainly have in company there. I am in good company. <laughs> but something that I wanted to ask you about as well, which I found particularly interesting, um, as somebody, I think particularly through my teenage years, um, I was really unfortunate when it comes to injuries. I'm talking as somebody that had a hamstring surgery and more knee dislocations than I care to remember. One of the things that stuck with me, especially from watching Howard's Way, the film, um, did you really burn half your injury records when you signed for Everton? Yeah, <laughs> I did. True story, yeah. I, I, had, I, I like you, I had a lot of injuries <clears throat> and played a lot of football with injuries. But I remember it was at the time when this would never have been allowed. Any time, it wouldn't have been allowed then. But because Wolves was in a bad state... <clears throat> I was going into administration or I'd gone into administration. So no one was really in control of anything. And when I got the call at Everton, Howard Kendall wanted to have a chat with me. And they said that the deal could go through. So would you mind take would you mind taking your records up? I said, no, 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 that's I'll do that, no problem. And I went up on the 
Thursday, I went and Thursday afternoon, I went in to collect them at Molyneux and was flabbergasted to find a, a stack of um, medical records. And I thought, bloody hell, I can't take that up to Goodison. <laughs> They'll never sign me if I walk through the door with a bunch of medical records that thick. So I went home that night and I had a, a big open fire in the house I was living in just outside Wolverhampton then. And it was burning away nicely and I thought, no, I've got to do something. So I sat there all night and I went through the records. I went, well, that's okay. Nope, fire. That's okay. Nope, fire. Oop, fire. Oop, fire. So I ended up, ended up with something that, that, that thick when I went up and I gave it to Doc Irwin. And I'll never forget the look in his face. <laughs> and we spoke about it, obviously, on the after that. He, he said to me one day after I'd signed, he says, I can't believe your records, it's, it's just it's always getting to me. How, how come? And then I eventually told him the story and he was laughing his socks off. Uh, yeah, I was pretty determined that the move was going to go through because I knew I was okay. I knew I was okay here. Mm -hmm. And that was the main thing. And I knew I had a dodgy knee uh, that I'd been uh, operated on six times. But I also know that I'd, I'd sort of played with discomfort, certainly for an awful lot of my career that never bothered me. Mm. And I was happy to do so. And as long as Everton wanted that, then I wasn't going to let some medical records stop me, stop me signing for the trophies, no. Good man, good man. And I believe that was 83, wasn't it, around the time when you, when you signed for Everton? And you've obviously got a, a great track record for winning things, but at that time, it wasn't all champagne and trips to Wembley. Um, Howard Kendall, the gaffer, certainly seemed to be under a, a great deal of pressure. What was the allure uh, of signing for Everton? Because I met Howard, albeit later on in his life, and he still, even at, even at that later age in his life, he seemed to have a, an air of respectability about him. Well, for me, it was easy. I, I was at a club that was, was, was in administration, was going nowhere but down. Um, I was asked to join a club who, listen, I knew Everton. I knew the history of Everton. I knew the history of the number nines. Being a centre forward myself, you always know that. You know, there were special clubs who had number nines, Everton, Newcastle in particular, the two massive clubs who the number nine was something special through history. And then I met Howard. I'd played against Howard um, a couple of years previously when he was at, at his latter years at Birmingham City. I remember playing against Howard when I was a kid as well. Um, but then I met him and I, and I took to him right away. He was, he was a, a man's man. He was just retired as a footballer, so he talked players' language. Um, but he also had um, a deep desire to achieve something. And listen, it was an easy decision for me. He said, "I want, I want you to sign. I, you know, I'd, I'd like you to come up." And I thought, "Well, yeah, I'm done. No problem." We we met in the Queen's Head on Queen's Drive, and I remember it. We had lunch, and. Um, we, we, we agreed the deal. We said, that's it, yeah. And the next morning, I went up on the Friday, signed on the Friday. And for me to play on the Saturday against Nottingham Forest, I think it was, we had to sign a loan deal. So I had to sign loan forms. Um, I couldn't sign the contract. Otherwise, if I'd have signed the contract, I wouldn't have been able to play on the Saturday. Mm. So we signed a loan deal, which could have gone, I mean, when you think about it now, I could have signed for a loan deal, got clobbered on the Saturday, you know, I broke my leg or something like that, and Howard would have gone, oh, sorry, thanks yeah. very much, Andy, but we won't have you now. 
I don't need somebody. But that could have happened. But we were both happy to take that risk because I knew Everton, we needed a result somewhere. And, and I needed to play again and get going. And I wanted to get going quickly. Um, so it was, it was done and dusted on that day. I had the medical. My knee was swollen a bit at the medical. I remember that. Because I think I'd played, it's strange, I'd played on the Wednesday for Wolves in a League Cup tie against Preston or something like that. I mean, of all the things to do that cost me, obviously, a chance of playing in the League Cup for Everton that year when we went to the final. But my knee was like swollen. The doc said to me, oh, that's a bit of fluid on that, Andy. I said, yeah, it always is, doc. I said, after I've played, I said, I'll be okay. So if we don't sign you today, what will you be doing tomorrow? I said, I'll be playing for Wolves. He went, oh, okay, that's good enough for me. So as it happens, we, we, we played Nottingham Forest and uh, I played with Inchi that day and he'd been struggling. And I remember saying to him, listen, um, we'll get you a goal today, definitely. I said, just whenever the ball comes in the penalty area, get yourself near me, get yourself around me. And I guarantee you, sometime in the game, I'll, I'll, set you, I'll set up something for you. And sure enough, luckily enough, I managed to set up a, a chance for him. He took it. We won 1-0. And that didn't change things. But it was just, it was an important moment because it steadied the ship a little bit. Yeah, nice. And something that is greatly credited for sort of turning the tides around that time was the, the introduction of yourself and Peter Reid, which... I find very interesting because I, for better or worse, I've got an obsession with the psychology of, of winners in sports, which often makes me feel like I was born in the wrong era to be an Evertonian, to be honest with you. But it's often the case that with new players coming into a club, the players that have been there for longer often help them acclimatise rather than roles reversed. So... Which players did you feel like once you arrived at Goodison? Did you see their leadership qualities grow? Well, leaders leaders are different. You know, there are there are leaders that do things certain ways. I mean, there's no doubt that Reedy. I, I hope I'm not blowing my own trumpet, and I, I don't like to, but I, there is no doubt that um, Peter Reed and my personality and drive and hatred of losing. Rather than, be, rather than be winners sometimes, I always think I hated losing. Um, and so did Reedy. And we had an affinity about that, the two of us. And it was a young, young team. If you, if you look around that team, mm -hmm. you know, Neville was a young goalkeeper. Chris Stevens was a young right back. Derek Mountfield, Kevin Ratcliffe. John Bailey was experienced. But Bills, I wouldn't say Bills was a leader, but he came along with you. You know what I mean? He was infectious. You wanted him on your side. You wanted to be around him. You know, then you had people like Trevor Stephen, young. You know, um, Kevin Richardson, young. Alan Harper, young. Kevin Sheedy, young. Graham Sharp, young. These were all boys in their early 20s. So, you know, when you talk about leaders, the leadership in the end came from Howard and Colin, Mick Heaton. And on the pitch, it came from, I think, genuinely, Reedy and I. Mm -hmm. But what the others did, Kevin Ratcliffe became a great leader very quickly as captain. And the most successful captain. But others, you know, Gary wasn't a leader, Gary Stevens, neither was Derek. Um, Brace wasn't a leader, but Brace went on the pitch and led by what he did on the football pitch. He wasn't vocal too much, just got on with his job. Trevor was quiet, Kevin was quiet, you know that. Sharpie was a quiet lad. 
But they all grew, and, and Graham Sharp, particularly because I played alongside him, he became, he went, he went from scorer of great goals. I always say that about what was the change in Graham. Was before I got there, I always used to watch clips of Graham Sharp and think, wow, he was smashing them in from 25 yards and 40 yards and ridiculous goals. He was a scorer of great goals. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a great goal scorer. So it was important he became that, and he did. You know, I used to say to him, listen, you only get one for it if you tap it in from the six yards out. Graham, if you get in that six-yard box a bit more, you're going to get another 10, 15 goals a season. I guarantee it. It might only be tap-ins, but they all count. Mm -hmm. And, he, and he, he grew, and I think they all grew. And I think we all, we would have all gone that extra yard for each other. That's what the team grew into. It really was a team. And if someone was in trouble, there's absolutely no doubt someone went and helped. And then we introduced Pat Vanden Howe. And we all knew, we all know what Pat's like. He was just, you know, he'd done anything to win a football match. And, and I think that was it. So we weren't a team full of leaders, but we had a brilliant team ethic about us. And no one liked losing. No one. And that, I think that's what the young boys grew up sampling, that losing didn't really taste very nice. Winning tasted a whole lot better. And then they took it on. Yeah, they went on from there. And they won the league. They won the, got to the League Cup final. And losing that, in many ways, was, was, was part of their growing up. Because I remember going to the FA Cup final and, thinking, and saying to a couple of them, remember how you felt a couple of months ago? You don't want to feel like that again here. This is even worse. Losing the FA Cup final would be even worse, although it was Liverpool, so it probably wasn't worse. But losing the League Cup was worse. And losing it against Liverpool, it felt horrible. Trust me, you'll feel just as bad if we lose this FA Cup today. And I think the lads grew into that. And the FA Cup was a big catalyst for what happened the next three or four years. Certainly resonates with me, and I, I'd agree that seems like a, a key moment in, in kicking things on. You talked about Graham there and a, and a bit of his playing style. Um, I am 21 years old, unfortunately, I didn't get to see that side play. And going back and watching some clips of, of yourself and other players, yourself in particular, would you say it's a fair assessment to compare your playing style with someone like a Tim Cahill, sort of like heart on the sleeve? Uh, and you know, really give the role for the team and a great goal scorer and knack. Or does someone else come to mind in the modern game? When no, I don't. I think no. Tim is probably Tim and Graham and people. Tim Cahill was a different. He played in a different position for me. Mm. He, he was more a number ten than than he was a number nine. Um, but I think because he was a very good, he was only about my height. We were both just short of six feet, but we could both head the ball incredibly well. And I think that especially with, when we were at Everton, and I think. A lot of Evertonians put those two things together. They, you know, we weren't big lads. We weren't six feet two, six feet three. But we could, we could probably head the ball better than anyone at the club at the time. And, uh, and I think they put that together. But no, I don't see any similarities between... I mean, if he wore his heart in his sleeve, Tim, then fine. I did that. I played every game like that. Um, but we were very different footballers. He was, he was probably more gifted, crafted, creative. Um, where I was... I was a centre-forward. I mean, call it old-fashioned, if you like. I was a centre-forward who le led the line. I don't think Tim ever led the line as yeah. such. So I kind of led the line, and I was a focal point. And a, t a lot of attacks started with me, and a lot finished with me. Um, so I think the ability to head a ball, definitely, there's a comparison there, a huge comparison that, uh, that I think we would both be happy to acknowledge. 
and the fact that if he wanted to win as badly as you say, then that is definitely is a similarity. But we were we were very different footballers, I think. Very different. Okay. Does any other sort of modern footballer doesn't have to be Everton related spring to mind when thinking of your own playing style? I mean, if you were to say to me who in the Premier League era and uh, plays the game, played the game the sort of same way you did, I, I would think I would have to think people like Alan Shearer played okay. like me. But he was he, even he's early Premier League. When you get to now. The game has moved on to such an extent now that that has. I mean, if I was looking through Premier League uh, and the style and how they went about it, you know, people like Shearer would definitely have been up there. Mark Hughes, these these players are who were front men. Didier Drogba was a leader of the line. You know, they led the line. I'm not saying I was as good as them, but that kind of player would have been would have been me. Um, Definitely, in that respect. So, if you were to say that, probably players like that would be, if you didn't see me play, I was like them. I was probably a little bit more, I was going to say physical, but no, Alan was hugely physical, so was Drogba, so was Mark Hughes. Yeah, but those ones I've all mentioned, they were all physical footballers as well. They could handle themselves in an era when you you didn't get as much protection as they do now. Mm. Okay, I think that's a that's a good comparison. Um, just sort of back to the the mentality of of winners and that sort of desire. I'm sure you'd agree that a winner's mentality isn't something that you can just turn on and off, and it doesn't just appear on a Saturday afternoon when you put your boots on. It's something that's instilled day to day um, through training. What was the atmosphere like at Belfield during your spell at Everton? Brilliant. Yeah. It was a fun place to be. I mean, when I say it's a fun place to be, after the after the first sort of two or three months, after the turn of the year, when when we when we beat Stoke in the FA Cup, uh, one of the big major turning points in the, in the January. From there, it became a, a really fun place to be. Howard always made it so. Howard and Colin, they always made it. They never made training dull. They never made it boring. Um, there was always a laugh. There was always time for a laugh. And a bit of, I mean, head tennis was renowned there. We had a, a little pitch there where Howard and, and Colin regarded themselves as the best head tennis players around. And there would always be competition um, in the head tennis. Before training started, the, the guys would be out there. The dressing room was a lively place, as you might imagine, mm. for the characters that were in there. Um, you know, it was, it was a lively, lively dressing room. But I, I don't think anybody who was there would have swapped it for anywhere else. Um, we looked after each other. We, we had fun when we, when we knew we could have fun. Uh, and I think that dressing room was a case where there's a time and a place for work. And there's a, there's a, there's a slot somewhere where you can have a little bit of enjoyment in there. And Howard got that right. When we were working, we were working. And we worked. We worked really hard. You did without working really, really hard and being dedicated to your sport and being dedicated to your club. You have to be these things or you don't win what we won. Um, but there was also room for a bit of, you know, lightness about it. You know, we, the, the legendary Chinese meals that Howard yeah, yeah. used to take every now and again. You know, if he felt that maybe things had just dropped off a little bit or there was one or two little arguments that needed to be sorted out, we'd disappear up to... Southport for the Chinese and spend the afternoon together having a couple of beers at the right time 
you know, if we weren't playing till the Saturday, we'd be up there on the Monday night or a Monday afternoon. So we'd be plenty of time to recover. You know, it wasn't like we went on a Friday afternoon and then went out and played on a Saturday. So, but that didn't happen often. There's a lot talked about that. I can remember maybe three, three times in the, the couple of years I was there where we went for a Chinese and sorted a few things out. But because we were being so successful, it wasn't necessary much. Um, but it, it, every now and again, but there was a good mix. We knew when to enjoy ourselves and we knew when work was work. Great, great to hear. And the, the film by Rob Sloman, Everton Howard's Way, I think, especially for someone like myself, uh, I absolutely adore it and I've seen it several times over. Do you think that captured the, the culture of the club well during that time? Yeah, I did. I, I thought Rob captured it brilliantly. I mean, I can remember some, I think it must have been seven, eight years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, when F Rob first called me to say he had this idea about uh, a movie about Howard, he felt that I hadn't, that team hadn't received the, the respect it deserved. Uh, and that was music to my ears. And, you know, he just said, you know, I need some help contacting people, no problem. And, we, and he started off and he went and, and I think he did a brilliant job. I hadn't seen it until that night I met you at St. George's. I, had no, I, I deliberately didn't want to watch any of it till that night. You know, Robert said to me, I, I can send you a copy if you want. I said, no, I want to wait till the night. And uh, I think he did Howard justice. Yeah. Definitely. That, that's great to hear. And just to sort of push this in another direction, uh, a high school friend of mine, um, I mean, obviously, pandemic um, aside, is set to move to Doha, I believe, around August time. And he's been given the green light by the club to start up an official Everton supporters club in Doha. So I promised that I'd mention it to you and I'm sure he'd be, he'd be really glad that you could show your face there when it opens. You know he gets. Well, you know, my, you know where to get me and tell him to look me up when he gets here. I'd be more than happy to pop round. I mean, I popped round. They've got a Rangers supporters club here. A couple of pals that I know are members. Obviously, I was a born and bred Rangers fan mm -hmm. and have been. So I popped in to see them a couple of times as well, say hello. So uh, when he gets here, not a problem. Just tell me, get in contact and I'll pop and see him. Brilliant. Um, and I was going to say, people like yourself who have sort of been the faces of football broadcasting and analysis over the last couple of years really did sort of help define the career path. You see, a couple of years. <laughs> a long time. So. <laughs> well, listen, it actually feels like a couple of years, but try 30. <laughs> yes. Well, I was going to say, you're obviously in Qatar now with being... And it's really impressive to see the sort of football culture that's emerged from, from Qatar over the last couple of years, obviously with the bid for the, uh, for the World Cup. And now with, with being the, the studio guests that you get in, you know, the likes of Wenger and Mourinho, the, the type of people that you could listen talk about football all day. How have you found them being one of the faces of that sort of revolution of football in, in that part of the world? Well, it's, it's been great. I mean, we, we kind of were the revolution in England in 1992 when the Premier mm. League started. That totally changed the way we watched football and the way we looked at it. So I, I'd already sampled that, you know, when we got here, what is it now, over seven years ago. And, you know, we're given the opportunity to, to do here what we had done in, in the UK. It was a fantastic opportunity for, for Richard and I. 
and as you say, the, the, the quality of guests that come and see us. And it's great because it keeps you fresh. We have, we have this, sadly, the pandemic's put paid to that, and we don't know when we'll be getting our guests back again. That's the only problem. We can only do them remotely at the moment, which isn't the same. Um, but the quality of guests coming in every weekend just to freshen me up, keep us, keep us fresh, was, it was fantastic. And I've become good friends with a lot of people. We've spent, as you said, we spent a lovely afternoon with Arsene Wenger just in a hotel across the water here. The last time he was in, a fascinating dinner, lunch with him. It was great. And his company was fantastic. Josie, the same. Rude Hulett's a good pal. You know, he comes here regularly. I love to see Rude. But we haven't seen the boys in, for a while now. And we don't know when we'll see them again. But to start that off, knowing that you've got the World Cup coming up in, what was it then, 10 years? 10 years from when we joined here. Um, was a big incentive for, for Richard and I. We were, you know, it's a huge audience we have worldwide. I mean, this is not just being sports Qatar. You know, being sports goes from New Zealand to America. Um, so it's it's a massive operation, and and it's been brilliant to be part of. It's been a lovely place to live. I wake up in the sunshine every day, pretty much. It does rain five or six days a year. That's that's about it. And, and I'm looking forward to, you know, the, the World Cup when the pandemic settles and we can look forward to the World Cup arriving on these shores. Hmm. Stadiums are looking amazing, absolutely amazing. They're, they're fabulous works of art as, as well as football stadiums when, when we see them. They'll be astonished how, how lovely they are. And the people are very proud of, of what they're doing and what they've been allowed to do. And I think anyone who comes in to watch the World Cup, we'll, we'll have a fabulous experience. That's my hope anyway. I'd like to think so, most definitely. And just to get a sort of, uh, some of your opinions on, um, on Everton at the moment. I mean, we're recording this on the 10th, a few days after a, a rather uninspiring 1-0 defeat away to, to Tottenham Hotspur, which really does seem typical of, of Everton's problems over the last decade or so, really, about that sort of failure to... To, to rise to the occasion in the big games. Um, just obviously Carlo Ancelotti's come in and things do look promising in that respect. But as, a, as an ex-player and obviously such a, a keen analyst of the game, where, where do you think, what direction do you think Everton are going in as a football club? I don't know if we're, if we're going in. Well, first and foremost, the big pluses were, obviously, uh, Carlo. I, I said at the time... Uh, if Ancelotti comes and he really wants to work hard at it, because he's going to have to work hard at it. We know that. You know, Liverpool and Man City have set the benchmark here. And if Everton are ever going to get anywhere near that, then they're going to have to work really hard, both on and off the pitch. Um, and I think if Carlo has come here with his mojo intact and ready to do it, then we've got a fantastic coach, one of the best in the world. There's no doubt about it. You just have to look at his CV. That tells you that. Now, I think in the way we've played... There has been improvement. Um, I think that the way they're going about the game is better. It's more, um, what's the word I would look for? It's more progressive now. We're getting through the pitch quicker. We seem to be getting the ball from back to front quicker without just lumping it, but getting it there, uh, getting it in good areas. We're not quite finishing it off. Um, but we're a little, I don't know. I watched this in midweek there against, well, a couple of days ago, as you see, against Spurs. I was really disappointed. I thought that the, the quality of our midfield that night was, was really poor, really poor. And we've got some really good players in there. 
you know, players that have cost an awful lot of money. Mm. So I think what we'll do this season is we get over this season, whatever it, whatever it gives us now. I mean, I've been two of our worst performances since Carlo came in. We're in London, both at Chelsea and at uh, mm. Tottenham, um, which I don't know if there's anything in that. I would hate to think so, but they were arguably the two worst performances I've seen from Everton since Ancelotti came in. I was really flat the other day because I expected so much more against a pretty ordinary Tottenham side. And I was really flat that we didn't do that, that we didn't perform. Um, but I think what we need to give Carlo is certainly this summer. I don't know what the transfer window is going to be like now. No one does mm. uh, with this COVID-19. But I think if he can get in some players he wants to come and fit into what he wants to do, and I say, when I say a couple, I'm talking, if we can get in four, right? Quality players that he knows, that he wants. I know that's not easy, but listen, we've got to aim big. We're, we're, we're told we have money now. We're told we have a lot of money in the, with the, in the club to, to spend. Let's start spending it. I'm not saying spend 100 million in one player, but I'm saying get four real good quality players in that Carlo likes and Carlo wants to work with, and let's start moving forward. Um, listen, we're never going to get there in one jump. This is going to take time. Um, but what we can do is make big leaps. Instead of going up one step, one rung of the ladder, let's go up three or four at a time mm. and then start moving forward. But I won't judge you. I don't think I'm going to judge you too much this season. Um, but uh, I'll be looking at the beginning of the next season and think that you've had six months, Carlo, to have a look at the players. I think that's important who you want to keep, who you don't, who knows what you want, who knows um, how you are about it. So if you want to stay and play for me and work for me, you can stay. If not, you can go. I'll get my own players in and then we'll start. So I think I'll start judging Everton a bit more at the beginning of the next season rather than at the end of this one. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the, the transfer and incumbents, I think that would be financial fair play in Pendon. But, you know, as you say, you'd like to see some some real quality coming and, and quality that the manager wants to work with. Uh, two of the, the real positives during Carlo Ancelotti's time at Everton since he's come is obviously he's reverted to that four four two formation, which has really seemed to have brought the best out of Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And I was wondering if you had the choice to be your strike partner, who would you rather partner up front? Of those two? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, they're very, they're very different in how they go about the game. Um, I mean, I, so, I suppose for the right mix, you'd, you, I'd look at Richarlison mm-hmm. as a more crafted player, as more number ten and a nine, or maybe, maybe a nine and a half, who would be the one who would link up things, who would go and do things. Whereas Dominic would be more like myself at the top end, right up the front end. Um, leading the line, as I call it, as, as we said again. He's a more traditional centre-forward, Dominic, than, than Richarlison. And Richarlison would be a bit like Brian Little was for me at Villa, who was a very different player. John Richards at Wolves. Graham and I sort of broke the mould. We were very similar types of players uh, and that we both wanted to play at the top end, but we were clever enough to work it out. So I, I think I could play with both. I think Dominic's pace would be an asset to my no pace. <laughs> But I think for somebody to create things for me, then, then probably Richarlison um, would be the better foil for me. Okay. Fair shout. Um, I mean, that would be a, 
I think that would be a, a partnership that Evertonian should certainly get excited by. Uh, Andy, listen, I, I really appreciate the time and I'm, I'm thankful that I've got the chance to talk with you again. And just just for the uh, the people listening and the people watching, I believe that you're, you're on the podcast scene yourself now. No, no, we're not at the moment. We're just, we just had a look, we dipped a toe in the water, not quite. We're just putting a few things together. We are thinking of, Richard and I are thinking of joining the podcast world, um, but we might leave it till the beginning of next season um, before we come out and full blast. We did put a podcast out, I think, a couple of weeks ago, um, just to see how it would be received and how it looked and how we felt it went. And we're having discussions with that about that now. But yeah, hope, hopefully, yes, we will be on the podcast scene soon, but not not just yet. Okay, cool. And um, I certainly enjoyed the episode, and I, I do look forward to, to more someone else if it is the case. Um, so I'd just like to say again, Andy, thanks for your time. It means a lot. Thanks, Max. It's been an absolute pleasure.